You're tuned into Toby Talks, episode 35, from bedside to nurse executive, Dr. Bonnie Clipper is driving innovation. So let me be honest with you guys. The conversation of healthcare transformation is so broad, right? And it's an ongoing topic, but I will be very clear. Healthcare cannot transform without nurses, okay? And we have so many bright ideas, so many innovative, thought-provoking ways to help change healthcare, but we struggle with getting that out, right? We struggle with expressing our idea or how do we even put it into implementation? And when I first started off as a nurse, I didn't even think nurses could really impact healthcare. I thought that whole impacting and making new innovative ways was left to the doctors, right? We just carry out whatever their ideas are. That's what I thought. And I was so wrong. And I think a lot of us think that way and we're wrong. Each and every one of us who are involved in healthcare in any way, we have the ability to change it. We have the ideas, we have the experience. And not only that, we have the connection to the community. So we know what our community needs. We know what our population needs. All we need now is how to implement those ideas. So where do we even start, right? It's so like a, it's like a big topic. And it's not that you have to have a tech background or you gotta be savvy in so many ways, but even where you are, whether it's at the bedside, at the desk, in a clinic, you have the ability to innovate healthcare. You do. Well, my guest, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, is sharing all of that. I mean, let's be honest, from the woman who was the first VP of innovation for ANA, she definitely knows a thing or two and she knows her stuff. So I'm so excited to have her on the podcast today. And what I'm going to share with you guys is so exciting that even in the beginning, you're going to hear her dog turn up. And I didn't even bother moving that out because you know why? It's authentic. (laughs) And you know me, I love to share these authenticity on my podcast. Well, let's go ahead and hop into this. And before I do, I first have to say, I am honored to have you on my podcast. I mean, you are literally the innovator for nurses. Not only do you have more credentials and I have letters in my last name and it's Nigerian, so you know it's long. But you, I, I hands down, I just appreciate everything that you're doing for us nurses, especially innovation-wise. So I just have to go ahead and start off with that, if you don't mind. Oh, man, brownie points, brownie points. It's hey. always good, Toby. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk about how did you fall into this amazing field called nursing? Like, what sparked you um, to want to choose this path? You know, I have wanted to be a nurse since I was six. So um, I'm a child of the 70s, so I have a picture that my mother gave to me at what point in time. And at that time, I wanted to get into healthcare. Mm-hmm. So it worked very well for me to get into nursing. That was something that I was very interested in. Mm. So I actually have a picture of me sitting in my little footy pajamas with uh pretend glasses and a pretend stethoscope and a nurse's cap on while I was, you know, giving kind of a a teddy bear physical. So (laughs) it's something that I have always wanted to do. So for me, it was really just a question of how and when, Mm -hmm. not so much a question of um, if or whether. 
Wow. And I mean, that's, I mean, you knew at six, that's what's up. I mean, some people is like, ah, I'm in college. I'm still trying to figure it out. I don't know if I want to do this or not, but you knew the direction you wanted to go into. And I think that's amazing because you already knew from the jump where you wanted to start. So how did that look for you um, as you were transitioning into school? Did you just go straight into get your BSN? Did you start from a CNA level and worked your way up? How did your career path actually start um, for you in nursing? Yeah, so that's a really good question. So I went to school, um, shout out to Winona State University. Um, I grew up in Chicago and went up there. Yeah, it was a great nursing school. Um, They do a super job. So did my program up there, did some uh, work and some time at Mayo, which is an amazing place to start. And as I really dug more into it, um, I realized that um, I wanted to make more of an impact than being a bedside nurse because I didn't feel like leadership people listened to what I had to offer mm-hmm. or what I had to say. I know so that's it, right. I loved, well, I loved being at the bedside. I love patients. I still love just cute little old people. They're my favorite to talk to. I just didn't feel like leadership didn't take me serious or didn't want to hear what I had to say. And it so often felt as though it was perceived as yet another complaint, if you will, even though I often gave them kind of suggestions or feedback about things that I think we could do better. So I quickly realized after about, I don't know, three or four years that I needed to go back to school. So that's kind of where that path of acquiring lots of letters behind my name began. And it was really just something that kind of one thing led to the next that led Mm. to the next. Um, You know, when you're, when you're in nursing leadership, you sometimes um, aren't taken as an equal partner unless you understand the business and the financial side. So I went back to get an MBA and uh, I feel like whether or not that made me a better leader, I can't really speak to, but I do know that that made me more credible at the table. So I feel like that was a worthwhile opportunity to pursue. Hmm. And, you know, that was a good one for me. Wow. And thank you for sharing that, because I think that's also um, sometimes in this atmosphere, we talk about wanting to advance our career and away from bedside, you know, not saying that we don't love our patient care and our interaction, but also wanting to make more of an impact in the administration level that also trickles down to our nurses, right? Um, So there has always been this conversation of, do I really need to go back to school um, in order to achieve a position in administration or make that impact? So I thank you for sharing that you did go back to school. Do you feel like the impact you've made so far would not have been um, to the, to the level where you are now if you didn't have an MBA? Because you did speak on how you wanted to gain that, um, what is it, gain the, the trust and more of the, ask, the buy-in from those when they see the credentials behind your name. So what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, it was a street cred thing, right? Because sitting there with the CEO and COO and CFO, I feel like it was a street cred because even though it might not make you a different person, it says that you got the content somewhere and you know what they're talking about. And and kind of in a little bit of a snarky way, it's kind of a back at you, right? It's like, yeah, I got it. I got the degree too. And I did learn about that stuff. So I'm also not a pushover. Hmm. So I feel like that was very valuable. 
Okay, okay. Well, there you go. Street credibility at the table. That makes that that puts two and two together because I know that can be challenging, even for some nurses that are in the administration level to get our voices heard, especially when you're dealing with business aspects. So thank you because Absolutely. I think that's really insightful. So well, I kind of want. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know. So what I would say too, Toby, is that when you think about healthcare, sometimes we do ourselves a disservice, right? So. Healthcare is is a profession that people are um, very pedigreed. We have lots of letters. We have lots of um, certifications, and we sort of all become collectors of those things. Yet we put a lot of value on them. So when you think about who's in the care environment, we have physicians that spend many many years in training, and are doctorally prepared. Mm. We have. We have, um, even if you think about physical therapist, right? Mm -hmm. It's a doctoral degree now, it's a DPT. We have pharmacists that are PharmDs. So it feels, whenever nurses ask me if they should go back to school, I say absolutely yes, because you're in an environment that we already have so many people that are prepared at a doctoral level, Mm -hmm. really make sure that we ourselves are prepared at least at a baccalaureate level if not further with masters or even doctorates herself, because I think it is a credibility thing. And also we do learn a lot. There's a lot of value that you learn throughout acquiring this education. So it's not for everyone and it's not for every role. Uh, For me, I I am hundred percent convinced that I wouldn't have been able to create my path without it. So it, it worked for me, but it isn't for everyone. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that insight. I didn't um, look at it that way. And you're very true. I mean, where we're going right now is towards that doctoral level. Um, even I know there's some bridge programs now for if you're doing your NP, you can get your DNP or you get grandfathered in. I know a couple of universities are doing programs like that. So I definitely see how that can be um, very impactful in the position that you are um, to make impact is to also have that educational background. And just to kind of give a view, our viewers, I mean, our listeners, some insight of your background. Um, where, where, did, where did you originate from in the U.S.? Like, where was your foundation? And Because I know as, as we talk as nurses, there's different things that we see from different states, right? Or even from outside the country in our nursing field. So when you knew at six that you wanted to be a nurse, what area of the U.S. or outside the country did you grow up in? And did you see, what did you see in healthcare that inspired you to want to continue to push forward? Yeah, that's a that's a good one. So I grew up in Chicago. Um, the the person that I think did have some very subliminal influence on me was actually the nurse in my pediatrician's office. Hmm. So I remember being a young child and remember a tall woman who had always had a very very starch and pressed sort of white skirt and white top and white hose and white shoes and a cap. And I remember that even back then, I would just sort of look at her like, wow, the doctor would ask her, the physician would ask her a question and she would have it nailed every time. And oftentimes she would say things like, I think we should do this. I think we should do that. Hmm. And I remember that back in the 70s, I thought that was pretty cool, right? Like women back then didn't tell men what to do, let alone tell physicians. So I remember thinking that that was pretty cool. And, you know, I decided I wanted to be a nurse. I always knew I stuck with it. And I went to school in Minnesota and spending time at Mayo was pretty amazing. When I graduated, it actually was still one of those times where when physicians rounded on our units, while we didn't have to give them our chairs, 
and I'm proud to say I never wow. wore a cap. We <laughs> have to acknowledge them as Dr. So-and-so. Mm-hmm. So that feels wow. so crazy old school today, um, but it was a different time. So I think that while things keep changing, it's important for us to stay ahead of that curve so we can really remain a very, very valued member of the healthcare team. I know that's right. And I appreciate you for even giving that feedback because even now um, it's, you know, we're still trying to um, have our voices be heard, not only in nursing, but, you know, as a woman, as a woman in leadership roles and some of those challenges um, we do face. So have you had any experience like that where as you continue to grow in your nursing career, especially in executive level, did you feel still feel like sometimes you were the only woman in the room or was it challenging to have your voice or your thoughts or your ideas listened to by um, the men that dominated the, the boardrooms or things like that? What was your experience in those kind of situations? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think um, I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I'm actually the second highest nurse uh, influencer. So I encourage anybody to reach out and connect with me and follow some of what I blog um, daily. Do. Mm, um, that's really good. Well, and you know, I try to be respectful, but provocative, right? And mm-hmm. I think much of this is about women, just like it's about nurses. Mm-hmm. So Cheryl Sandberg did a great job in the book, Lean In. I think that she brought a lot of things to light that we hadn't thought of. I didn't agree with the whole book, but I agree with the premise of it. And that is so often as nurses, we still are 90% female. We, there are 4 million registered nurses and at 90% female, that's a lot of people, right? Mm-hmm. So when we kind of are deferential, to, to men, even men that are nurses or men that happen to be physicians, I think we give up the potential position of power or the position of influence that we have. Hmm. So those are times that we really need to hold on to those, which again goes back to credibility because we don't want to just share an opinion without data and evidence and facts. Yes. Be articulate, be respectful and back ourselves up because we want to be a valued Uh, seat at the table, and we want to be valued for the information that we provide and the influence that we bring. Wow, that is very, that's a good, um, a good way to wrap that up. You can still be that thought provoker, right? But have your, have your, uh, what is, how we usually say it is have your ish together. Make sure you got all your ducks in a row before you start trying to, you know, challenge people. Um, And I think that's a really good way of, of, of putting that together. So in, when, did you ever have to face um, opposition in being a, you know, being a nurse executive and being in different um, boards and councils? Uh, you know what? Yeah, I've faced opposition a lot. And again, I think you have to keep, you have to keep it together, even though you might be getting really pissed on the inside, mm-hmm. keep it together. Right. Mm-hmm. And so while what I say might offend some of the listeners, but don't act like a girl, right? Don't get emotional. Don't get mad. Don't show it. Keep it together and meet them where they are. Mm. And, you know, a lot of times just by sort of changing the sequence of what someone says and repeating it back to them, sometimes people realize what they said doesn't make any sense or isn't very nice or sometimes it's just plain stupid, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. So when you repeat it back and you, you know, again, it's all about being respectful. So what I heard you say was this, they'll say, well, I didn't say that. Well, those were your words. So help me understand if there's something that I missed. And then sometimes they go, oh, well, that isn't what I meant. What I meant was this, right? Because I think, I just think it's all about kind of calling people on it in a respectful way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Quite often people don't mean that. They mean something very, very different, but it sounds not nice. 
So I think you don't let that stuff slide, but you also say it in a very nice way. And sometimes, quite honestly, it's, it's good to take offline, right? If there's someone that kind of you consistently sort of have a little bit of a, of a rough and tumble with, I think those are offline conversations of, look, we need to, we need to work well together and, and we have to understand this point. I really want to understand where you're coming from. Um, and this right here isn't the place to do it. So we probably need to talk offline, but I think you gotta, you gotta work to get your point out there and you gotta work to say what's on your mind in a thoughtful, respectful way. I like that. Um, I remember there was a book that I, I read that actually had a lot of your suggestions, which is called like comebacks at work and a, and a respectful way of having your, your, um, when you, when you're in a position where it's uncomfortable, you're not really sure what they're, or what they're saying kind of comes off really, you know, disrespectful, but it, the book actually helps guide on how to come back in that situation where it's still respectful, where it's still, you're trying to get your point across or just clear the communication. A lot of times it's really gray communication or unclear communication at that time. So um, those are some really good points. I just remember a book that I read that actually had points just like that. Um, so I actually wanted to go back a little bit when you um, started in your nursing field and you were at the bedside, how long did it take you before you were, you realized that, you know what, I want to move up to a higher level. I want to get, I want to make a bigger impact. And what did you do to get to that position? Yeah. So, um, you know, my mom would always tell me that I was a bossy little kid and um, I, I, I can kind of see that. Right. So, <laughs> Um, I was, I worked my first year uh, in liver transplant and general surgery when I was at Mayo. Mm -hmm. um, I went up to University of Minnesota and I actually worked up there for three years. It was during the course of my time there that I realized I needed to go back to school. Um, so I started, um, actually did a two-year program to get a, a Master of Arts in Health and Human Services Administration from St. Mary's University while I was up there. And then I moved back to Chicago, which is where I was from. And I worked at Loyola uh, mm. for a little while, went back and got an MBA at night. Uh, and then I went to Rush and I was really excited about all of those leaps. I loved working in academic medical centers. Um, I worked at Rush and that was my first management job. I was a clinical nurse coordinator and it took me a while to get into management. Um, I had to go really through two kind of programs, uh, mm -hmm. an MA and then an MBA to really get kind of the, a job that I thought was a good fit for me. Um, I was at the bedside for six years and I just continually, it felt like there's so many impediments that make it difficult for staff nurses to, um, to do their job. And, yeah. and I actually have a perfect example. I have a niece who is a nurse. Mm -hmm. She um, just moved out to, uh, to California. And uh, we, we were just having a beer the other day and talking. And her hospital purchased um, some really cool technology around that allows them to use kind of iPhones in-house uh, to text uh, physicians and providers mm -hmm. uh, and share lab values yet they're not allowed to give uh, information or take orders because that part of it, their policy doesn't allow them or permit them to do. So kind of her question to me, which is a great question from a millennial is, why would my hospital spend all this money and buy this technology to basically just allow me to transmit sort of radiology information or lab values? 
because they can't take orders. So when you think about it, that's sort of the perfect catch 22 for staff nurses, right? We don't help them make their environment easy enough, fast enough. So a lot of times they look at us like leaders, like what is wrong with you people, right? So we Mm -hmm. got to figure out how to speed those cycles up and how to make their work easier. Wow, that is a catch-22. And and I can say I see the same kind of things um, in administration-wise. Like, you know, uh, I've seen this across different organizations where they would buy applications, right? Purchase applications that are expensive, thousands and thousands of dollars, but yet not follow through with proper education on how to utilize the platform, how to get the most of it, right? And then we're still kind of doing our old habits on a new platform that could do so much more. Yes. Um, and I see that almost every organization I've been to, it's like, oh my gosh, we have this. Why aren't we using it to its best ability? Um, and I think when you, especially with the generational um, changes that's happening in healthcare, you have a generation that is like tech savvy, ready to hop on, that would willing to learn anything new and utilize it. But then sometimes we come in the crossroad where things have kind of just always been this way and we don't want to change that. That intersection is difficult, especially if you're a millennial in leadership. What kind of advice or what kind of um, insights could you give a millennial that is in leadership or a nurse executive that is seeing that's at that crossroad where they want to bring some innovations into the organization or they can see a change, but they are just there where, you know, things have been the same and we don't want to make a change. How do you overcome that? Because that's a big challenge. Yeah, you know what? Keep at it, right? Keep at it. In 2015, the nursing workforce flipped. It used to be boomer heavy, and in 2015, it flipped to be millennial heavy. So millennials make up the largest chunk of the nursing workforce. Mm -hmm. Our managers, directors, CNOs are still predominantly boomer heavy. Mm -hmm. Huge opportunity to really increase the ranks of millennials. And it can't be the jeepers, you have to earn your stripes. And I've put in four years or six years at the bedside, so you have to as well. I think it's ba- it's got to be based on skills and competencies. It's got to be based on performance. And if there are people that can do it or two years, then let's let's get moving. Let's get them up the ranks in two years. Otherwise, we're going to be staring at a whole lot of people that are pretty old and don't want to be working anymore with no one to backfill. So yeah. I think we have to figure that out. The other thing we're going to have to do is that we know um, – Let's just be nice and say more tenured nurses tend not to like seasoned technology mm-hmm. much, right? Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to find ways to have them uh, kind of leverage the technology that we purchase. Otherwise, it's not really being used for the capacity in which we, we thought, right? So we have to figure out ways to do that. And oftentimes you see within organizations, trainers or educators tend to be of a certain kind of um, demographic. Let's start bringing in smaller, younger, um, young people that can actually help us um, with training and development, right? With mm-hmm. education. Because what's important about that is they know the technologies. So while they might not know all the nuances of patient care, healthcare, medicine, those kind of things, we can teach to that, right? It's almost, I hate to say this, but I think it could potentially be easier to teach that versus teaching people on the intuitive nature of some of these technologies, especially because in a lot of issues or a lot of situations, um, again, nurses of kind of of a certain tenure aren't interested in using it. 
The same is true for physicians. If you think about it, when we had kind of the adoption of EHRs like 12-ish years ago, um, there were surgeons, there were doctors, there were physicians in the organizations that I was in, two of them. Um, and, and there were physicians that, that quit because they said, I don't want to deal with this. This isn't why I went into you know, medicine to sit in front of a computer and type notes. So I think the same thing is going to continue to happen as we increase our dependence on uh, technology. We're going to see more clinicians get out of the workforce who don't want to learn them and deal with them. Hmm. That is very, very true. And then you have this booming of millennials that grow up in the generation of technology that are willing to, you know, I mean, not even willing, that's like a part of our lifestyle now. Yeah. Technology well, and you is, know what? Mm-hmm. That's, that's really a place that young people excel, right? So how do we get nurses engaged in nursing? We let them innovate. And, and what does that mean? It means that all the great ideas they have, we actually do something with. Well, this is coming from the uh, first vice president of innovation at the American Nurse Association from 2017 to 2019. And I was blown away by the fact that this was created and led by you. And just with all your, um, your, your resources and connections and things that you've experienced, I just really want to tap into that. Now that we're on the, the topic of innovation, how did you, how did you build such an innovation framework for the ANA and how, what did that look like and how were you able to build something like that from an organization that never had that in mind? So what's really um, cool for me is that I was very, very fortunate and I was a Robert Wood Johnson Executive Nurse Fellow. Um, that's a three-year program and as part of that, I studied uh, innovation pretty in depth, actually wrote um, a white paper on innovation with a team of four other authors. Mm. And it's on the ANA's website right now. It's called the Innovation Roadmap, a Guide for Nurse Leaders. And it was written in 2014, um, 15. And it was really super cool because it allowed us to spend about a year and a half researching what was out there and what the barriers were for nursing innovation and how we could maybe start to chip away at that really crusty exterior to allow nurses to innovate. So we learned that, of course, the most obvious barrier is change, right? Mm -hmm. Still, while we all say, oh, it's a joke and, you know, we don't want to hear, we've always done it this way, that is still, even to this day, the biggest barrier. So it's, it's true and it's there. So we built this framework or we built the kind of the innovation roadmap as a guide to help nurse leaders um, build a culture of innovation within their own organizations. So I was able to really learn a lot from that. And then I became an ASU AONE innovation fellow. That really allowed me to kind of ratchet it up to the next level and create kind of a toolkit and a way to help organizations even leverage it more. So it was kind of in that spirit that when I went to the ANA, I was mm-hmm. actually able to create the innovation roadmap, um, or sorry, the innovation framework, and really put that in place for them as a new program. And, and, and we had an amazing team that did really, really cool things. And it's to that end that we were able to start the journey to get 4 million nurses interested in, in innovation. 
I think that's, I mean, it, it was amazing. And I didn't even know this um, existed. I actually found out when I went to um, the HIMSS 2018, 2018, 2019 HIMSS. Yeah. And um, Nurse Pitch was there. Right. And I like, I literally like almost lost my, I was like, oh my God, there's a section just for nurses and they're actually pitching ideas. And yep. I just thought that was so cool because I've gone, I've gone to several um, conferences throughout the years where it's, several conferences that are always geared towards, you know, whatever your specialty is. Mm -hmm. Then I switched gears and I started going to a lot of healthcare and technology conferences. And I realized the audience there was very limited. I didn't find anyone who, one, looked like me um, as an African-American woman or a woman who is also in healthcare as a nurse. I didn't have a nurse vibe at all like people were actually shocked that i came like oh you're a nurse what are you doing here at this technology healthcare conference and it's like well we need to know what's going on in healthcare technology so coming to the hymns 2019 and seeing nurse pitch it just blew my mind and and just realizing how much the ana is actually was doing to have our voices be heard and have our ideas um, be thrown out there and actually show that we can transform healthcare as well as a whole organization but also as nurses across the globe and I thought that was amazing. So could you just kind of go inside a little bit of like some of the different kind of um, frameworks that you were able to do in the ANA that kind of pulled nurses into thinking innovatively? Because I know when we say that, people always assume that, oh, well, maybe you had a background in technology um, or maybe you came from a second degree and then you became a nurse. And that's the only reason why you can be innovative. But what other aspects can nurses truly tap into their innovative mindset and really make a difference in healthcare? Well, I'm glad you like Nurse Pitch. I mean, yes. I think that was a really, really uh, worthwhile endeavor. And, you know, that did put us as nurses really into a space that we hadn't been before. So that mm -hmm. was very fun for me to create that. Uh, and, you know, stay tuned because I think you're going to be seeing more as, as, you know, we built that framework and put the wheels in motion for all that work to continue. So that'll be cool to watch. Um, one of the ways that nurses um, should innovate is that we have to stop talking to each other. You know, it's, it's, it's very important to obviously to go to nursing conferences, right? It's also very important to go to conferences that are not nursing conferences. So if you're interested in tech, go to things like HIMSS. Mm -hmm. it's, I, I think that the value we bring as nurses is that we have this tool set that no one else has, no other profession. So it's an amazing tool set that can be deployed in a variety of different uh, occupations and professions, and we will be highly, highly, highly successful and valuable. So I have a young lady that called me uh, probably about six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, maybe. And she just reached out kind of through LinkedIn. And she is uh, going to a school for um, design because she wants to study kind of design, uh, human centered design. And she said, um, I'm a nurse and I only was a nurse for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And I realized that being at the bedside wasn't for me. But mm -hmm. I also think that I have so much to contribute and I'm not sure where that contribution is best, but I'm really interested in design. So mm -hmm. I think that doing something to help design new facilities is really what I want to do. So she talked to a bunch of people um, who weren't able to give her feedback 
on how she could do that because they kind of said, no, 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 you should be a nurse studying uh, nursing and going back for a, a master's degree in nursing. It's not that we want you to focus on design. We want you to focus on patient care. And then she mm. talked to people at the design school that said, we would love to have you, but we don't really know what to do with you. <laughs> so she and I talked and, and we had a, a great conversation and she went back to the design school and said, I want to be in this school. So she, she was accepted and uh, she is really doing some amazing things in that program and think about what the impact will be to patient care environments when we have nurses designing clinics and hospitals. Yeah. Right? We've all said, what the heck? A nurse didn't design this really crazy long straight hallway because we mm -hmm. never would have done that to ourselves. So think about the impact when we have people like her designing things like that. Wow. That is so awesome. And I just, kudos, seriously, kudos to you because I appreciate um, influencers like you that actually do respond on social media platforms because there are a lot of us millennials that are connecting on LinkedIn or on Instagram or on Facebook. And we do look up to our leadership, you know, and when we send out messages and they don't respond, it's kind of like, well, where do I, where am I going to get this mentor or this advice to move forward, you know? So thank you for being that advocate for us who actually responds back to our messages and, and is looking out for, you know, our growth and our future and our career. But I think that is awesome. And that's a wonderful example of what it looks like to be an innovator um, and not just thinking inside of a hospital wall. I say that a lot. Uh, you know, well, you know what? You're, you're most welcome. It's actually kind of a pleasure. I, I have a lot of fun and certainly learn a lot. Um, mentoring and doing that. And, and some days, you know, in LinkedIn world, it gets a little crazy because I, I get lots of emails uh, or LinkedIn messages from people. Um, and, and some days it's just kind of like, wow, where is everybody gone? But yeah, I reach out to people and I try to reach back uh, when they contact me just to say, even if it's 10 minutes of time or sometimes it's an email conversation, just around what are you thinking and what is it I can do to help you, right? I think that's one of the things that we tend not to do well in nursing, mm -hmm. that it's so much a just sort of keep your head down and do what you can do because you got to be better than the next person. Yeah. You got to have more letters and you got to be doing this. I think we miss some of the real value we bring and that is empathy, right? It's helping each other. We're, we're a better profession when we're stronger as a huge team, right? I've got 4 million peeps and we can kick ass. So we got to work together on that. High five. Amen. All of that. Some snaps too, because that's a hundred percent true. And I, I feel, I wish there were so many more, um, spirited people like you out there, especially in our nursing career, uh, that can help guide a lot of us millennials that find it very challenging um, on the career roadmap that we're headed on to. So I actually wanted to change the conversation a little bit and focus more on your executive experience and what that entails. So could you kind of walk us through what it was like to enter an executive position and what that position was like, um, or the title of that position, and how did you prepare for that? Or did you prepare once you got in and it was kind of like a new, whole new world and you had to learn different things? Oh, you know, I think a lot of it is no matter how well prepared you think you are, you're sort of thrown in, right? So I would say there's a couple, um, looking backwards, there's a few things that I think are key. One of them is if you're interested in getting into leadership to the tune of getting into executive leadership, 
identify for yourself someone who's a mentor and will help you prepare for that role. And once you're in it, stay in touch with that person, right? Mm -hmm. I think as, as executives so often, we feel like we have to do it right, but we know we don't. Mm -hmm. So having a mentor, having a coach, it's, uh, I've, I've had myself several um, executive coaches that have always been highly beneficial to me. I'm a work in progress. So the ability to work with someone that can help me understand how I can handle situations better how I can um, find better words. I think that that's always important just because we're working with people and, and we really want to serve and, and do a good job. So I think part of executive leadership is once you find the job that you're interested in applying for, apply. You know, we've all had to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. so it's important. And if you have to apply for a bunch, you have to apply for a bunch. But I think that's kind of the first place to start. And then just make sure that you're checking in with a mentor or someone that can help you advance your, not only this job, but what's the next job. I think you always need to keep your eye on, on you know, the ball. Or as Wayne Gretzky said, you have to skate to where the puck is going to be, which means you also need to keep one eye down the road as well. Hmm. And, and when you say, you know, connect and, and build that relationship with a mentor, someone that you see in the position that can help you um, in that position or groom you for the next position, how does that connection start? I know there's a lot of um, nurses out there that, you know, they've probably never even spoken to their CNO or they probably only know who their CEO is because of that one day in orientation. How do they build that um, that relationship to actually put themselves out there and say, Hey, I want to be this. I want to be in this role one day. Would you mentor me? What does that look like? How would a, a nurse at the bedside start that path? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it can happen a couple of different ways. So I think within the organization, if you're convinced that's the place you want to stay and grow for a while, um, even ask if you can have 10, 15 minutes of a director's time or of a, of a chief nursing officer's time or an ACNO's time and just say, like, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Um, I'm interested in doing this down the road. And these are the steps that I'm taking to get myself there in the future. If there's ever a project or if there's ever anything you need help with, I would like to say that I'm here to do, to do something and also to learn more. So it's a really great way to kind of start that introduction or that conversation. And quite honestly, I would say enough people don't do that because it takes mm. guts to have that conversation and really mm -hmm. put yourself out there. And it's, a, it's valuable because you've just said, I'm, I'm here and I want you to see me in a different light. So I think that's real helpful. The other thing um, is that I think finding mentors from outside your organization are really important as well. So even if you're at a conference and you hear people speak that are really interesting, maybe connect with them and you can talk to them afterwards. What you talked about was really interesting. I love your research. I would love to learn more. And if you get their business card, it's kind of a good way to just kind of start that conversation, right? And maybe that says, hey, we exchange uh, an email later where I thank you for your time. And, and maybe part of that is, um, you know, Jeepers, I would love to bounce some ideas off you. Do you have 10 minutes someday for a phone call? And sometimes people will say no, but I think more often than not, they say yes. And you won't know until you put yourself out there, to be honest, well, right? And you won't. And I think what's important is that this has to be a mutual relationship, right? 
So while you might want someone to mentor you, it's important to say, is there anything that I can do for you, right? Because they may have some questions that they're doing field work or focus groups or research on and may say, hey, in your organization, what do you think about this or what do you think about that? Or what do your nurses think about this or think about that? And so you might be able to help them in ways that you didn't anticipate. Hmm. Well, touche. I hope you guys are taking some notes because these are some, this is some bomb advice. I wish I had this kind of advice a couple of years ago when I started, you know, really trying to embark in the leadership role. Um, but, you know, sometimes you just have to discover it on your own and make that connection on your own. But this is amazing feedback. I do want to ask, if you don't mind, when you were in a, a nurse executive role, and I'm not sure if you had nurses that came up to you and was like, hey, you know, mentor me or I'd like to be mentored. How is it with other colleagues who are in the executive level and they're not really, they're not really keen to wanting to pull people up? How do you deal with that in a leadership position where you, your own colleagues aren't really willing to want to groom the next um, generation up or not really wanting to pour into or mentor or guide? How do you uh, laterally make that, that impact as well so they can see the effect of what it, what it will be when you are impacting and you are inspiring those that are trying to seek their position or higher. Yeah, I think that that's just really, um, sometimes it's a leading by example kind of thing and just spending time and mentoring young people. Um, if you think about it, this is a little bit tongue in cheek, but generally speaking, most of us don't want to work until we die. We want to work and then enjoy some time or enjoy mm -hmm. life. So when we don't have succession plans and when we haven't done a good job of preparing sort of the next generation of leaders, um, that could be a problem for those of us that want to get out of it someday. So really, it's a way to kind of um, leave your mark and do a little bit of succession planning, right? Why not be involved in it to make sure that you shape the next generation in a really positive, knowledgeable way instead of not being part of it and potentially not feeling comfortable with what you're leaving behind? Mm -hmm. So I've never really had the situation where peers and colleagues didn't want to mentor. They might not have wanted to do kind of as many perhaps as I would have done. Um, but generally I found them very open as well. And there were even some times that I've tapped into colleagues to ask them to, you know, just spend a little bit of time and maybe talk to a nurse who was interested in going into operations or finance or, or tech or something else. And generally I found people to be pretty helpful. Well, that's awesome. And I'm glad that that's, and I also think it's a, uh, what plays a role is a culture of the organization, the Absolutely. culture of the organization that you work in, um, the resources they pour into growing within, um, even if they go out, it, you're growing within. And that's a big, um, that's a big thing that's recognized. So for nurses who, you know, maybe right now, and let's just be completely honest, especially for some of us who like left nursing school with loans and loans and loans, for some of us who can't, afford to go back to school, right? But our, but our career goal is to start that development of wanting to enter executive leadership. And hopefully by that time, especially with organizations that do tuition reimbursement and other um, avenues of paying for school, 
what steps would a nurse who's just at the bedside need to take to start grooming themselves for that kind of position? Um, I know I've given advice on joining committees and being plugged into your organization and into your community, but from your, from your view as a nurse executive, what um, steps would you start having a nurse who's at the bedside or maybe a new grad nurse who knows that this is where I wanna be, what kind of steps or things do they start doing and putting down in their um, to-do list to build their career for that position? I think you already nailed that, Toby. I mean, you said exactly, you know, what, what I would have said. And that's really, Ew, yeah. have people get involved in committees, have them mm -hmm. take projects, uh, really step up and own pieces of shared governance, help an organization that's pathway or magnet get recertified. If you're not pathway or magnet, maybe you want to start working on a discovery group to investigate it. I mean, I think you have to start somewhere. Everything doesn't have to get hung up on the fact that you don't have a degree. Certainly job requirements are very, very important and every organization has their own take on that. Yet you also can kind of make contributions, right? So start as a nurse manager, work up. If you're a staff nurse, maybe you want to be, take some shifts to be a charge nurse. Once you get comfortable with that, work your way up to nurse manager. Once you get comfortable with that, explore it and see if there aren't any director roles. If you're not interested in, in being a manager or director kind of, of of a care unit or something of that nature, start to explore other things. If, you're, if your organization is going to roll out or implement new software or a new app, step up and get involved in that and learn everything you can about the tech side of it. So I think there are a lot of ways to get involved. Part of what you want to do is not only expand your own knowledge base, but you want to increase your value by giving back to the organization. Mm. Those kind of people are, uh, they, they have a lot of, of value and almost power that they don't realize because what you do is you make yourself um, almost, ex you know, I guess the opposite of expendable, right? You make yourself indispensable. So you have to be part of the organization because you're part of the culture. Yeah. And I think when you have more skills and more knowledge and you're willing to uh, step up and do those things, you know, the organization sees that. Hmm. That is very true. And that was a lot of good advice. That's very true. Putting yourself out there um, and letting them know that, Hey, I'm willing to learn and, and, with that being said, hard work comes to that. I think people just feel like, oh, I want to check the box. I'll be on a committee. I'll have my name on it, but I'm really not going to be interactive. I'm really not going to, you know, put in the work that's needed. And people are watching. <laughs> yeah, don't, because <laughs> you're wasting you're time. Gonna, that's right. If you're not going to do it, don't do it, because that turns into an epic fail real quick. Mm -hmm. Real right. quick. And now you have more eyes on you that you shouldn't have been in the first place. Yeah. So, well, and the other thing is that if your organization isn't an organization that operates that way, you may have to leave your organization. That is true. That is so true. The culture does matter. And I can, I can say that firsthand because I did leave an organization where the culture was very toxic and it wasn't uh, a culture of wanting to grow and make changes, especially in areas that changes could be made. It was more of, we want to stay in our everyone stay in your place kind of culture. And it's like, uh, that's kind of hard when healthcare is transforming. Um, and I want to be a part of that transformation. There was one topic that came to mind that I kind of wanted to hop into because, you know, when we see all the titles and when we see the positions of nurse exec or an executive leadership title, um, especially from a bedside nurse looking up, you'll think all that glitters. And like, the, oh, that's really shiny. I want to be there. But 
you know, the saying, all that glitters is not gold. So what were some of the challenges that you faced as a nurse executive? And did you ever have to deal with burnout? I mean, we talk about that a lot at the bedside, but we don't really talk about burnout in the administrative or executive side of um, healthcare. Was that stuff that you faced as well? And if so, do you mind just kind of sharing what that was like and how you overcame that? Yeah, I actually had um, a wonderful CEO who was my first CEO when I became a chief nursing officer. Um, and he made a, a really great point um, of saying, plan vacations for yourself and plan time away. So I learned really early on as a 20 year um, kind of career as a CNO, I learned early on that it was important for me. So I had started by planning, um, you know, basically a summer vacation every year. Hmm. And kind of after one year, I thought, well, that's sure not enough. So then I took, you know, a week off at Christmas and, and uh, a week in the summer. And then I got to the point by the time I've been uh, kind of finished my tour of duty as a chief nursing officer, I actually did um, usually one decent vacation a year of probably between seven and 10 days. And then there were, I tried to take four long weekends, three additional kind of mm. long weekends a year. That always felt like it gave me a break just about the time my head was ready to explode. You know, it was mm -hmm. kind of like, wow, something's coming up. And I wouldn't, I had my head down, so I wouldn't have been able to plan something or even think about it. But looking down the road to go, oh, thank goodness, in three weeks, I'm going wherever. Mm -hmm. that, that was very, very valuable because I think it's important to get away, to have downtime, because you have to re-energize yourself and come back with a really clean, fresh perspective um, so that you can contribute to what you're doing. Wow. I would never have thought of that. Like thought of that being like the, one of the first things you should do um, to prevent burnout is to like plan ahead, have your vacations because some of the, some of the, um, I guess, representation that um, I have come across in executive leadership, it just seems like they never take a break. Like they're constantly going, going, going. And I always wonder like, how, do they experience burnout? Like, do you get tired of being in meetings? Do you get tired of everybody calling you? Do you get tired of having to follow up with emails? And if so, what does that look like? How do you recheck, you know? How do you come back and have that fresh, um, innovative spirit to continue on in your position? And scheduling out vacations is definitely one smart way to go, 100%. I think if you run into someone that tells you that they never get tired of being on call, you know, 24-7, 365, um, or of 60-hour work weeks, I think they might not be 100% honest with you. Because mm. um, it's okay to acknowledge it. It's also up to us as professionals to find ways to kind of cope with it, accommodate it, and make sure we still perform at the highest level possible. Facts, 100% facts. Were there any challenges that you faced being in a nurse executive leadership? Um, and, and what were those challenges and how did you overcome that? You know, I think sometimes the hardest ones were what, um, you know, I know there were some times that I, I felt uh, tension with uh, surgeons who were huge financial contributors to the organizations that I worked in because they brought in volume, right? They, they generated a ton of revenue. And oftentimes they were surgeons that kind of really wanted to push the limits or not do things they were supposed to or do things very differently than we all agreed on. Mm. Those were just lots and lots of conversations, not only with the surgeons, but also um, with COOs, CEOs, uh, chief medical officers, 
department chairs, you know, people that just said, how do we do this together? We're all on the same team, right? So we can't keep wearing each other out, right? So you not doing your thing means that I got to follow up with you and follow up with somebody else. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So if we're all on the same team, how can we make each other successful in a way that works for all of us? So it, it takes time. It takes a lot of conversations, but we have to spend the time to do it. A lot of conversations and a lot of um, building that rapport, you know, like, yes, you have a title, but you really said start building that relationship and, and learning the people on your team. Um, and I think that's something, especially for me in a leadership role, that was something I definitely identified very quickly um, is building that individual rapport where it's not just, oh, I'm in this position and I've taken on the responsibility, but actually knowing who my team players are. Because in any organization, even though everyone has their titles, it's one team and you need to know who your players are, you know? Absolutely. And, and you know, power doesn't, the power doesn't come from the position. Mm-hmm. The Please power say that comes again. from the person Oof. who commands respect and how people want to do things for you because they respect you, not because you're in a position and everyone says, oh, majesty, we must do something for you. That's not how it works. It, it's built on relationships and respect and trust. And when you have a good team of respectful people that trust each other, you will get a lot done. Hallelujah. That was said perfectly. Thank you. Because I've, <laughs> when you get into positions like this, there is that power struggle and it's based off of titles. And it's like, um, I don't care about your title. I want to see how we're all going to come together and make, you know, healthcare great, you know, and or make, you know, our patients' lives better. Um, so thank you for that. That, like, that should be like the slogan, period. I did want to ask, as we slowly start wrapping up um, our awesome conversation, for nurses or anyone who's starting to enter an executive leadership position, especially if it's your first time, how, do you, how did you deal with the salary aspect? Um, because, you know, the pay obviously changes. It's very, it's greater than what you're used to at the bedside or on the unit. Um, how did you approach that? Did you have to do a lot of, um, what is it called, going back and forth and kind of knowing how much the industry pays this role? How do you have that conversation if you do want to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Oh, it's like skip my negotiate. mind. Negotiate. Thank you. Goodness. Yeah. When you want to negotiate and how do you, especially for a, a newcomer into this field, how do you go about that without feeling like, oh, I might lose this position because now I'm challenging them on what I should be getting paid versus what I, what I would like to get paid, all that mess. Yeah, well, I wish I knew 20 years ago what I know now, right? Mm. So my first CNO job, I felt like I was super lucky to get it. So I just said, okay, you know, whatever they offered, I said, yes, I'll take and I'll do whatever you say and start whenever you want me. Now I realize that you have a lot of, of latitude, right? Always do your homework. So you have the ability to research. You can use anything that's out there. Uh, AONL, the American Organization of Nurse Leaders, does a survey every year on salaries. Start Ooh, there nice. because it's a great survey. So start with that. You also can look at Glassdoor or Indeed. Mm -hmm. People are being paid in that organization. So you already know what they're making. So that gives you a sense of where you might need to be. Uh, and, you know, think about kind of what you have available to you, right? So you use your resources. You can negotiate salary, see if PTO is an option. Um, 
start date. Don't get pushed into a start date that you feel like is too soon. Make sure you take time between jobs. You want to let the old job run its course and get out of your brain. Mm -hmm. Start the new job, right? That's only good for you, right? To be able to contribute. So you're really in the driver's seat with a whole lot of that stuff. The worst thing that someone can say is no. And if you don't advocate for yourself, you're not going to get it. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is sort of one of my dirty little secrets. And I don't know if I even want to tell you this. Ooh, um, share. Okay. So this too is probably going to tick off to some people that are listening. My advice, think like a man. Mm, come what on. Would, what would a man say to that salary offer? Would they say, yeah, it's great. Or would they say, no way, I'm worth more. So if you do that and... And I've, I've given that advice to multiple people who are always sort of speechless and then say, wow, what a great point. Um, that sort of helps guide you. I'm sorry that we have to think like that. And I don't like that I even have to say that. Yet, I believe we're still in a world of inequity. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that it's an opportunity for you just to run it through a different filter. That is 100% true. And I appreciate you sharing that and being so authentic and real because it's true. You know, we are in a world right where, right now where we're, you know, equality are, um, it's not really being seen uh, much, especially in the pay gap. So I wouldn't even, I would not have even thought like that. Like, wow, think like a man. Would I take this if I was a man? And I know all the things that this role entails. That's so true because I feel like we sell ourselves short just for the opportunity. And then we get in and it's like, whoa, wait, I didn't sign up for all of this to only get paid this. You know and what you I mean? you realize the man doing the job is making way more. <sighs> mm, it still, it still cringes my soul. Mm. I know, but we can do this, Toby. We can. Right? We, we can. are all on the same team, and we have the same goals. So teamwork make the dream work. That is literally my slogan. So I appreciate you for giving that feedback. So as we wrap up this awesome, awesome podcast, Miss Clipper, I appreciate everything, all the insights you've given us, but I would love if you could just leave some kind of um, inspiration or thought for those that are, you know, in nursing school or new graduates that are getting burnt out. They want to step into that innovation mind space, but they don't know how, or those that are really, you know, amping up to be an executive, to make a bigger change throughout not only their organization, their community, um, in healthcare as a, as a whole, what advice or inspiration or empowerment could you just leave them in a couple of words or a sentence or so just to keep them going so they don't give up? Yeah, don't give up. We need you, right? And if you have an idea, work it through from start to finish. Put it out there. See what you can do with it. Nurse, There are nurses making millions of dollars on amazing innovations and inventions. In fact, we actually, I, I've been working with a team of authors. We have a book coming out uh, in uh, late August, and that is The Nurse's Guide to Innovation. So we put together kind of a, a how-to plan for nurses to advance their ideas, but don't give up. The world wow. needs to hear from nurses, and it's really important. We have a lot to say. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast episode. There were so many gems dropped. But let's be honest, who got time to replay, pause, and write down all that information shared? Shoo, I know I don't. But don't worry, I got you. Download Toby Talks app on Google Play for nursing resources, definitions, and so much more that were mentioned on today's episode. 
Toby Talk app features show notes that timelines the conversation and lets you click directly to the resource or definition. And it even lets you bookmark the gem for later. Listen, we're too busy learning how to save lives or even saving lives as nurses to deal with a replay button. Toby Talk app is your one-stop shop for podcast episodes and show notes. For more on Toby Talks, like the blogs and videos, go to my website at www.tobytodge.com. And you know I love to hear from you guys, so feel free to slide into my DMs on IG or Facebook and hit me up through email. That's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Again, that's tobytalks at tobytodge.com. Till next time, I'll be talking to you soon.